Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Woolridge, the president of Gateway Seminary. Uh, we're once again this week, we'll be talking about practical issues that relate to church ministry leadership and uh, leadership in Christian organizations. Now you may think, well, you sound more like James Earl Jones today, and I kind of do. Uh, my voice is uh, very deep and a bit scratchy, so bear with me. Uh, like a lot of other people here at the beginning of 2018, I've been struggling with uh, uh, lots of different kinds of uh, cold type and sinus type ailments, and so I'm pressing through. I imagine many of you are having to do the same thing, so bear with me as uh, I speak to you with my deep voice this morning. Well, for the past two weeks, I've been talking about uh, leadership development in local churches and ministry organizations, and I had planned on doing two podcasts on that subject, but quite honestly, uh, there are some additional issues that uh, I would like to address related to that theme, and so I thought I'd go ahead and add a, add a third podcast on the issue of leadership development. And today particularly, I want to talk about three specialized issues that come up in the question or in the issue of developing leaders for ministry organizations, and I want to talk about uh, those three, uh, if I can, in the context of what I've already said in the past two weeks. So I'm not going to try to repeat any of that material, but with that as a background or that as a backdrop, now let's talk about three special issues this morning. First, I want to talk about the case for strong leaders. Now, strong leaders can be challenging. Uh, when you're recruiting people to put them on your leadership team, uh, the most gifted, the most capable, uh, are also often the most opinionated and sometimes the most difficult uh, to work with. Uh, and yet, we're, we're faced with this reality. If we really want to get something done in our organizations, if we really want to see progress in our churches, we have to raise up strong men and women who can take leadership responsibility, who can chart their own course, who can uh, create things that have never been done before, uh, who can lead out in ways that are bold and courageous. And if that's going to happen, then we're going to have to uh, take with that some of the risk and difficulty and relational strain that often comes with working with strong leaders. In Proverbs 14.4, the Bible says, Where there are no oxen, the manger is empty, but from the strength of an ox comes abundant harvest. The Jeff Forge paraphrase of that would sound something like this. Uh, big ox, <laughs> big mess. But also, big, big ox, uh, bigger gain. And so today I want to talk with you about some of the issues related to uh, bringing strong leaders onto your team and working with them to help them get the work done. Uh, I, I started studying this, quite honestly, uh, in the context of my book, The Case for Antioch, when I spent uh, a good bit of time studying the leaders that were mentioned at the church at Antioch. Now, some of you have responded to the podcast, in fact, quite a few of you, by asking, uh, where can I get more information about the subjects that you're teaching? And sometimes those subjects are outlined in more detail in my books, and this is one of those examples. So if you want more information on this whole issue of uh, these specialized cases, then check out my book, The Case for Antioch. But the, the uh, church at Antioch had a number of very strong leaders. Uh, first of all, Barnabas was a strong leader. Now, that, that surprises some people when I say that because Barnabas is often thought of as the encourager in the New Testament. And certainly, uh, that was one of his nicknames, and he certainly had uh, 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 some examples in the New Testament of being a very encouraging person. But I think seeing him as an encourager in the sense that he was some kind of a soft, a gentle, uh, unassuming leader is really a mischaracterization of what he was really like. 
Barnabas was a strong leader. Let me give you some examples. In Acts 11, uh, 23 to 24, Barnabas stood up to the Jerusalem church and embraced the movement of the gospel at Antioch. This was a significant choice on his part, a courageous choice. Remember, he had been sent from Jerusalem to Antioch, not as an encourager, but as an inquisitor. And when he arrived, the Bible says he saw the grace of God. In other words, he saw God at work among these Gentiles coming to faith in Christ. And he stood up to the Jerusalem church that had sent him there by rejecting their position that salvation was, first of all, uh, by grace through faith, but only also accompanied by circumcision, and instead rejected the circumcision aspect of that formula. So Barnabas was a strong leader who stood up to the Jerusalem church. He also was uh, evidence of his strength was that he brought Paul into leadership. Again, in Acts 11, 24 to 25, uh, Barnabas realized he needed help on his leadership team in Antioch, and so he went to Tarsus uh, and fetched Paul back and put him on the team. Now, you might say, well, what's courageous about that? I mean, it was Paul. Well, remember, Paul had not been on anyone's team up until this point. He was most recently known for killing Christians. And so Barnabas uh, made the courageous step of bringing Paul onto the leadership team for the first time. And then later on, Paul and Barnabas went to Jerusalem to confront the Jerusalem church, particularly to confront the Judaizers about this issue of uh, circumcision being required for salvation. And we see that in Acts chapter 15, verses 1 and 12, uh, the Bible describes how Barnabas stood up and with, with great vigor debated these men and put them in their place, you might say, by winning the day for the doctrine of salvation by grace through faith. Another little story that I find interesting is that on the way to Jerusalem in Acts 15, verses 2 and 3, the Bible says that Paul and Barnabas and others were preaching the gospel to the Gentiles along the way and seeing people receive the gospel uh, as they were making their trip. Now, I find that to be an amusing story because the Judaizing preachers who'd come from Jerusalem uh, to confront those at Antioch who were diverting from what they believed to be the truth of the gospel were also on that trip. And so Paul and Barnabas, while in the context of going back to Jerusalem to resolve this issue, were actually preaching along the way in the presence of men who opposed them all, who opposed them all along. And then finally, of course, Barnabas was a courageous missionary. In Acts chapters 13 and 14, he was the first, uh, he and Paul were the first missionary team. And so we see that Barnabas uh, took the great risk of launching the gospel into new places where it had never yet been heard. So while Barnabas was an encourager, I don't dismiss that reality. He was not a, a weak-minded, soft-spoken, uh, in-the-shadows encourager. No, Barnabas was a strong leader who did what was right, stood up for correct doctrine, brought people onto his team that were uh, full of gifts and also challenges, and then uh, made sure that he did the right thing in taking the gospel to the nations, even though it had never been done before. Well, Paul, as I mentioned, came on the team, and he was also a strong leader. Paul solidified the gospel among the Gentiles. That's in Acts eleven twenty six, And that's a courageous and bold move for a man from his background and upbringing. He debated important theological issues, as I've already mentioned in Acts 15, verse 12. He and Barnabas were at the forefront of winning this debate over the nature of the gospel. And Paul, like Barnabas, was also a courageous missionary. But perhaps Paul's strength is demonstrated most clearly in how he confronted other leaders. For example, in Galatians 2.14, the Bible says he confronted Peter uh, about a doctrinal and practical matter of church fellowship, and it says he confronted him to his face. Man, that must have been some showdown. 
Paul and Peter having a face-to-face argument over doctrine and fellowship in the church. And then in Acts 15, 39, and again in Galatians 2, 12, Paul also confronted Barnabas. He confronted Barnabas in Galatians over some of the same issues uh, that, he struck, that he confronted Peter. And he confronted Barnabas at the end of Acts 15 over this issue of John Mark and who would accompany them on their missionary team. And that confrontation was so significant that it led to the rupture of their relationship, the separation of their missionary efforts, and as far as we know from the New Testament, uh, the ending of all contact between these two men who had done, done so much together for the gospel. And then, as I already mentioned, Paul also confronted these Judaizers, standing up for the gospel in Acts 15, making sure that the gospel was going to always be by grace through faith. Now, I spend this little bit of time reviewing this biblical material just to underscore that Paul and Barnabas were strong leaders. Uh, These were men who were willing to take a stand, willing to hold up doctrinal truth, willing to confront others in their error, willing to take risks that no one had ever taken before, These men were strong leaders who did a great deal of work to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, with that brief modeling in mind, then let's answer this question. Why do people resist strong leaders? Why do sometimes churches resist strong leaders? Uh, Why do boards resist strong leaders? Why do leaders like pastors and CEOs and others in responsible positions resist bringing other strong leaders onto their team? Well, here are some reasons I've observed. The first reason people resist strong leaders is what I call bad leadership experiences in the past. Now, one of the weaknesses of this podcast is you can't see air quotes, but around that word leadership, put the word, put, put, the, put the quotation marks. Bad so-called leadership experiences in the past. Some people who call themselves leaders confuse authoritative leadership with authoritarian leadership. Healthy, strong leaders are authoritative. Destructive leaders are authoritarian, meaning that they assume that their position gives them the right to abuse others, to run roughshod over policy, to do whatever they want and justify it by the position they've been given. But authoritative leaders, authoritative leaders stand with proper authority, uh, with, with, with proper strength, with a sense of humility that's created by their being tempered by the reality that they are under God's authority and responsible to him for their actions. And so some people resist strong leaders because they equate strong leadership with authoritarian leadership. But really, the best strong leaders are not authoritarian. They're authoritative. And so let's not throw out the baby with the bath, so to speak. Let's not reject the concept of strong leaders because of bad leadership experiences in the past, particularly bad leadership experiences where a person called themselves a leader but behaved in a destructive way. Now, another reason that people resist strong leaders is, frankly, stubbornness among followers. Now, this can show itself in several ways. Some followers have an unhealthy resistance to change. Now, let's be frank, all followers have some resistance to change. Uh, It is in our human nature to want to keep things as we are, to preserve the status quo, to protect ourselves from undue risk. That's part of who we are, and that's not always a bad thing. Um, The protection of risk and the avoidance of risk is uh, something we try to teach preschool children, try to reinforce with teenagers, and hopefully by adulthood have have learned to manage well. But some followers in Christian organizations 
have become so embedded and so enmeshed in their past practices uh, that they simply resist any strong leader because they're fearful that those strong leaders will produce some kind of change that will be harmful to them. Another evidence of stubbornness is sometimes followers want to protect sinful behavior. Uh, they don't want to change their budgeting strategy because, quite frankly, they like spending more money on themselves than they spend on others. They like spending more money on the comforts they enjoy as church members than on the mission of getting the gospel to the nations. Um, they like having uh, the pleasures and, uh, and, and blessings of, of, uh, of abundance rather than making some sacrifice that others might have, basic, meet, have their basic human needs met. So we protect sinful behavior by resisting strong leadership. And then another reason for this stubbornness is misreading uh, Scripture through current cultural lenses. Uh, there are many lenses today which reject all uh, evidence of authority or all semblance of authority. There are cultural lenses today that say that uh, every Christian organization should be a democracy and every believer should have their voice and, and everyone has equal access to all information and equal authority to be in, decision -making, uh, in a decision-making structure. But really, that's just simply not true. And so lead followers can reject uh, strong leaders out of stubbornness because they're resistant to change or they're trying to protect sinful behavior or they simply see those leaders and the potential for what they might do uh, through a skewed cultural lenses today about how churches and organizations are supposed to function. Another reason people resist strong leaders is the general re rejection of the authority structures that God affirms. There are at least three of these. Uh, God affirms the authority structure of the home. You can find that beginning in Ephesians 5.22 and reading on through that passage. Uh, he affirms the authority structures of the church. Ephesians 4.11-16 is at least one uh, passage that speaks to this. There are others in Hebrews and Romans. And God also speaks to authority structures in the community or in the government, you might say. You can find those in Romans 13.1-7. God establishes authority structures. Uh, the home, uh, the church, and the community all have uh, authority structures built into them uh, that were designed by God to give order, uh, to give protection to the weak, uh, to give bold access to the, to the future, and to changes that might be needed to reach the future that's, so des that, that's desired. Uh, these, uh, these authority structures are a good thing given by God. Now, can they be abused? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Uh, in fact, uh, it's not difficult at all to point to abusive uh, relationships in church, home, or community structures. Uh, those are prevalent on, uh, on almost every, in almost every newspaper and in almost every uh, leadership discussion. But nevertheless, the fact that these structures have been marred by sin does not mean that they do not have some value, some purpose, and some good that can be served. And so the essential uh, task of, of, of embracing strong leaders is embracing those strong leaders in a sense, in a way that, or embracing those strong leaders in a way that they find their appropriate expression through these structures and use these structures uh, appropriately. Now that leads me to a whole other podcast, which I'll do someday on authority and structure and uh, expressing authority in Christian leadership and uh, the use of power and authority in Christian leadership and all of those kinds of things. But, uh, but for today, let's just understand that these authority structures are good things and that when used properly, uh, they both provide a vehicle for strong leaders, but also a check and balance for those strong leaders. Well, these are some of the reasons people resist 
strong leaders, bad leadership experiences in the past, stubbornness among leaders, and a misunderstanding of leadership structure and what it can mean. Now, is there ever a time, though, that, that we should not follow strong leaders, just reject them outright? Yeah, there is. In fact, there are several instances. Uh, I can think of at least three. When not to follow strong Christian leaders? Well, first of all, when they're teaching strong, uh, clear or serious doctrinal error. Now, uh, we need to be careful here that we distinguish what's serious doctrinal error from just a difference of opinion that we may have about something. Uh, but when a Christian is leader is teaching a serious doctrinal error, I mean, they're teaching something that, something that threatens the integrity of our faith, uh, they must be rejected. We, we can't follow that person. Also, when a strong leader's behavior is unethical or illegal, they have to be rejected. Uh, this is sometimes difficult because Christians want to be forgiving and give a second chance and overlook weakness, and, and I'm certainly for all those things. But when the behavior crosses the line into something that's unethical or illegal, uh, those leaders can't be followed any longer and they have to be removed. And then, and this is perhaps sometimes the most difficult one to spot, but when the leader's agenda contradicts the mission of the church or even the mission of the organization they serve, that leader has to be removed, uh, rejected and removed. Now, this is sometimes hard to see because leaders put almost everything they do in missional language, but it takes some wisdom and discernment by a governing group to be able to look at what a leader is actually doing and decide, is this really serving our mission or is this really serving a shadow of our mission that really serves the agenda of the leader? So, I'm advocating for strong leaders. I think we need strong leaders in organizations, and I think those strong senior leaders need to bring the strongest leaders possible together on their team. Uh, is this fraught with difficulty? Absolutely. Just like the proverb says, big ox, <laughs> big mess. The, the stronger the leaders that you bring on board, the greater the potential that you're going to have some struggles and problems along the way. But by properly managing them and by putting them in structures that preserve both the best of what they can offer but yet limit them by putting them in an authority or governance structure, uh, you can get the most effective uh, the most effective use and the most effective impact from strong leaders. Now that leads me to the second big issue, and that is the case for team leadership. Now, while I do advocate strong leaders and we need strong leaders, I also want to advocate today for team leadership and for leading uh, in teams. Now this is probably one of the biggest changes I've made in the past 35 years. When I started out in ministry leadership, I was far too much of a solo leader. Um, I was the Lone Ranger. I was writing to everyone's rescue. I was the person who had the final authority. I was the person who thought he had all the good ideas. But over the years, that's been worked out of me. Uh, some of it's been worked out of me by Bible study and by, uh, by leadership development. But frankly, uh, some of it's been beaten out of me. As God has allowed circumstances to hammer away at me and help me to understand that I work far better when I work in a team environment than, I, than when I try to lead solo. Now, again, going back to my Antioch model, I discovered something when I was working through the leaders that were evident in Antioch that was really insightful for me. And that is that Antioch leaders always worked in partners and in teams. As you look through the examples, for example, it says that multiple preachers started the church. You can find that in Acts eleven nineteen. A group of men came to Antioch preaching the gospel. And then Barnabas arrived and uh, for a short time operated as sort of a solo pastoral leader sent from Jerusalem to investigate the movement. But it wasn't very long before he went to Tarsus and brought back Paul to start their ministry together. And you find that in Acts eleven twenty five. 
Over in chapter 13, uh, there's, there's a description of a worship service that happened in, at Antioch in which Paul and Barnabas are called to missions. But in the context of that, you'll notice that there, are, there is a plurality of leaders mentioned by name, not only in that service, but I think in the church. And then when Paul and Barnabas were sent out as missionaries, they were sent out as a partnership team. And then when Paul and Barnabas went up to Jerusalem, the Bible says they went up with a group in Acts 15, 12. A group that went up from Antioch to sort out this doctrinal issue. And then when they worked out the issue at the end of Acts chapter 15 and they sent the letter back to Antioch explaining the decision, uh, Paul, Barnabas, Judas, and Silas uh, are named as leaders who went back to Antioch, but some others apparently accompanied them as well. You can find that in Acts 15, 30 to 35. And then in the sad story of Acts 15, 36 to 40, where Paul and Barnabas split up and ended their missionary relationship over this conflict related to John Mark, uh, Paul and Barnabas both chose new partners before they launched out on their missionary work. So what I see in this Antioch model is that Paul and Barnabas, excuse me, is that the church at Antioch had a leadership team, our leadership, uh, our leadership group that was involved in every significant thing the church did. Now, I think this is really insightful because it helps us to understand why team, or that team leadership is essential. And, and I want to point out some reasons over the years that I've learned why team leadership is so effective. Now, let me uh, go on to say that as a president, I'm the leader of a team. As a pastor, you're a leader of a team. Uh, perhaps as a, a, a director or a, or a ministry leader in an organization, you also are a leader of a team. So team leadership does not mean that there's not also a leader of a team or a first among equals kind of approach. But nevertheless, uh, when you find yourself surrounded by other strong leaders and you can work in a team environment, um, you'll find that that brings greater strength to what you're trying to accomplish. So here's some reasons why team leadership is effective. First, uh, strong leaders are balanced in a team environment. First of all, ego is checked at the door. Uh, when you're in a, a good team environment, uh, people say what they really feel. They, they say what they really think is true and what needs to be heard. And they, uh, they demand uh, that leaders, especially strong leaders, uh, subject their egos and their drives and their opinions uh, to what the group may have to speak into them or speak, say to them. And then as a part of this balance, accountability is accentuated meaning that when a, a group decides something, uh, the group then holds itself accountable by people speaking up and saying, does this really fit our mission? Is this what really, we really agreed to do? Is this really a wise allocation of budget resources? Is that really the direction we intend to go? So accountability is accentuated uh, also. So strong leaders are balanced in a team environment. Ego is checked, accountability is accentuated, and those strong leaders find themselves functioning in a more balanced way. Also, strong leaders, second of all, are made stronger in a team environment. What do I mean? Well, in a team environment, bad ideas are edited or eliminated. Uh, man, I've brought some ideas to our leadership team here at Gateway. When I, I come in the room, I'm so excited. I lay out my idea, and, uh, and my leadership team just looks at me and shakes their head like, what in the world are you thinking? I remember a few years ago when we were thinking about moving the seminary and rebranding it, um, I came up with what I wanted our web domain address to be. And so I, I came into the meeting, I was so excited, and I said, hey guys, I think I've got this web idea that I want to lay out for you. You know, we're going to need a new do domain name, and, and, uh, and this is what I think it ought to be. And when I said it, uh, there was just uh, crickets in the room, just silence. <laughs> and, and I said, you, you guys don't like that? And one of the vice presidents said, well... I would like it if we were a junior high youth group. Man, that was painful to hear. 
painful to hear, but really, he was right. My idea just wasn't that good. So that idea got edited and eliminated that day. And quite honestly, uh, a good team edits and eliminates ideas and, and so that fewer bad ideas ever make it uh, and see the light of day. But on the, on the opposite side, good ideas are also magnified. When you come up with a good idea and it's embraced by the group, uh, it causes there to be even more excitement and a greater sense of ownership. And then people start bouncing even more ideas off that one good idea. And those good ideas are magnified. They become even more powerful because the team owns them. And then another good, another reason that uh, uh, strong leaders are made stronger by a team environment is that controversial decisions gain legitimacy. You know, there are always controversial decisions. There's budget cuts, there's staffing realignments, there's, missional, uh, directional, there's mission directional changes. There's, there's just all kinds of uh, controversial decisions that leaders have to make. And when you're able to stand up and say, the elders of our church are in 100% agreement that this is the direction we need to go, or our board of trustees has adopted this um, unanimously, and this is the direction they want us to go, or our leadership team has met, and we've dialogued about this extensively, and we are confident that we've come to a conclusion that this is what's best for our church. When you're able to say that, it causes people to say, wow, this is not just one person's idea, but three, five, seven, maybe even in my case a board, 39 people have agreed this is the right direction. And those people all have a lot more information than I have. And so when I hear that new idea, even though it may be controversial or difficult, it gains legitimacy with me as a follower because I know it's been vetted by people in a group environment that I trust who have more information than I have and can make a better decision than I'm able to make in the moment. So strong leaders are balanced in a team environment, and strong leaders are made stronger in a team environment. And then strong leaders... Um, have their weaknesses mitigated in a team environment. Uh, weaknesses are masked by team strengths. For example, one of my strengths is communication. Um, I'm able to stand up in front of a group and usually uh, explain a decision in a way that people understand uh, the core issues and are able to understand why we made the decision and what needs to go into that decision, or what needed to go into that decision. I'm good at explaining decisions and and, and why they and what their results are going to be. But quite honestly, I'm not always good at thinking through all the details and ramifications of a decision. But I'm fortunate that I work with a, a leadership team that has some people on it that have those skills. <clears throat> and so my weaknesses are masked by the team's strengths. So that when we go forward, it's not just my communication skills that are uh, being accessed, but I'm accessing those skills <coughs> Pardon me. I'm accessing those skills with the information the, and the detailed analysis uh, behind the facts that I'm communicating that can come only from what my team was able to contribute. And then another way that uh, strong leaders' weaknesses are mitigated is their weak moments. Their weak moments are compensated by team strengths. <coughs> there are times, there are times uh, when I just simply don't feel up to leading, for example, and I'll be in a meeting and I'll say, well, let's just do that or let's just get that done or let's just decide this just to get it off my table or off my plate or to get it off our agenda. And I'll have a team leader say, no, we, we don't want to do that. We need to stop and rethink this. We need to give it more time. We need to go a different direction. Um, 
And those checks and balances have really helped me to avoid some bad decisions in the past where I just uh, too quickly made a decision or blew off an issue to try to just get past it. And my team said, no, wait a second, you're just weak today, Jeff. Uh, you're not up to your, but you're not at your best. You don't feel good. You're frustrated. You're discouraged. Let us remind you of what really needs to happen here. And in those moments, my team helps me make a better decision. Well, finally, uh, what's one last issue, special issue, and that's the case for men in church leadership roles. Now, let me quickly say that I think healthy churches have men in leadership roles, but I think women also have important leadership roles in churches. And I'm not speaking against women in leadership on this podcast. Believe me, uh, we train hundreds of women for leadership in ministry in our seminary. What I am advocating, though, for is for more men to be raised up into leadership roles. It's been my experience that women are more than willing to lead and that many women are willing to serve sacrificially in church roles, but men seem to lag a bit on this. So how can you facilitate more men coming forward in leadership roles? Well, here's some simple suggestions. First, design worship services with men in mind and ask men to help you lead those services. Ask men to help pray and read scripture and be involved in other meaningful ways in the service. Give them a taste of what it looks like and feels like to be a leader by that means. Second, train men to lead in public settings. Um, train men how to, lead, how to, how to uh, organize a meeting. Train men how to lead a public prayer. Uh, train men how to uh, do, do other aspects of worship leadership, like make the announcements or give a nice welcome or receive the offering. Train men to lead in public settings. I think sometimes we assume that men know what to do in church, and they don't. But if you'll teach them, they're willing to learn, and they'll do what you show them. And then create an intentional process to mentor men toward leadership. Uh, always have some men that you're working with personally that you're facilitating and bringing along and then develop some kind of course or class or structure where you're helping men to come into a leadership role. Now, I don't advocate like a five-year course or anything like that, but there need to be short-term opportunities to train men specifically to take leadership roles. And then develop some just-for-men ministries where men can begin to field test and flourish as leaders, uh, men's ministries, men's programs, men reaching out to men, men, men ministering to men, men doing things with men. This gives guys an opportunity to field test their leadership legs, so to speak, and find a way to be more engaged. And then find a way for men to mentor boys. Uh, we want boys to grow up with, good, with a good understanding of church and church leadership and, the, and see themselves in church leadership roles, and that happens with men doing that. I was at a church recently where boys were being trained to receive the offering. And uh, each boy had a man that was just walking with him and whispering in his ear and coaching him a bit. And these, these boys, uh, ages 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, were learning how to receive the offering because some men were taking time to coach them along and help them learn how to do it in a way that was according to that church's tradition and practice of ministry. That's what I mean by find ways for men to impact boys. Well, uh, these are some special issues in leadership. We need strong leaders to rise up in leadership. Uh, we need those strong leaders to rise up and work in a team environment where I think their strengths are best accentuated. And we need more men to rise up, especially in church leadership. And by focusing on helping that happen, I think our churches will be stronger. 
Well, that concludes uh, the third podcast on leadership development, particularly as it relates to ministry organizations. Uh, Thank you for listening. Thank you for the leadership you're providing. Thank you for the investment you're making. And uh, as we move forward, lead on.